You may be seated. Obviously, the rest of you that were seated know me, so you just stayed seated. I appreciate that. Sitting ovation. I get a number of them at my church as well. Um, it is a, it's a great day to be here in Jennings. I, I, the, the truth is we started at Shoney's. How many of you know that anything that starts at the Shoney's buffet has got nowhere but up to go? And uh, we, we actually started there, and uh, some folks that I'd met actually long before I was a pastor at a, at a, a dealership. I used to do Bible studies in all the businesses across uh, Acadiana and the Lafayette area, and one of the guys who was a manager at Giles, moved and began a car dealership, a used car dealership then, and uh, I began doing a Bible study, and then he moved it, we moved it over to Shoney's, and then uh, Pastor Bubba and I had just began in Lafayette. This was now almost 15 years ago. And Bo Pastor Bubba and I were very young and good-looking back then. It was having five sons and one daughter each that made us look like this. You know, when my children look at me and I wear something, go, Dad, that isn't cool. I go, I used to be cool till I got old supporting you. And all the daddy said... And all the sons, we say, shut up. And it's just such a joy. And we're so proud of Pastor Bubba and Tracy and, and the part of our lives they've been. And the history and all the wonderful things that God's done. Pastor Bubba and I, as he said, began almost 15 years ago. But that isn't where I began with Pastor Bubba. I began in 1980. I'd led his little sister to the Lord, and she came home and started preaching to him, and he was about 18 years old. He just got kicked out of uh, Fatima High School for smoking dope on the senior trip. So if you want to know why they're legalizing marijuana all over for years, it goes back to your pastor. And I, I, uh, I got a call from his mama frantically, and she said, listen, if you help my daughter, could you meet with my son? My son Bubba, he, uh, his sisters told him about you, and then said, "Could you meet with him? He, you know, he's in trouble. I think he needs some help." And I walked into the back then, which was the richest part of Lafayette, a mansion, a house looked like big as all of this whole building. And I walked in there, and uh, you know, they had nice cars in the driveway, and you know, the latest of everything, and and. Uh, Pastor Bubba then, Bubba meets me at the door, and all I knew previous to what his mother said was is that his younger sister told me that if he ever met me, he was going to punch me out. So, you, you know, you probably hear about the average Mexican and think, you know, they're probably short and, you know, they can. So I enjoy uh, meeting short white people. And there aren't many Mexicans six foot three, so when you when you, you I enjoy looking down on white people. <laughs> just so uh, I, I got to the door, and Pastor Bubba was there, and uh, we went back to to his bedroom. And what was true at that moment remains true to this day. All these years later, we walked into his bedroom. He began to pour his heart out to me. He repented. We prayed for him. He received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We left there, went to his apartment where he was living, 
Bayou Shadows apartment. And we went there, ripped all the bad pictures off the wall. I won't say what magazine or which edition of Playboy they were from, but we yanked all of those down. We went to his rock and roll albums. He had a stack about this high, and we broke all of his rock and roll albums. And his roommate, now he's been saved about three hours. And his roommate, Mark Gidry, came walking in. He goes, Bubba, what are you doing? He said, Mark, I gave my life to Jesus. We had a big green trash bag. And he said, I torn off all the posters. And he said, and I broke all of our rock and roll albums. And the guy goes, yeah, but half of those are mine. And from that day till this, Pastor Bubba McCann has never looked back, shrunk back, or turned back. And even in all the years of sending he and Tracy here, Tracy and my wife Michelle met at Bible College, and, and even in the years of coming here, all the years of the trials and people get mad and people leave, and of course, you know, all you got to do is have three or four folks related to each other in the church right here, you know, and somebody leaves and you got a massive church split. And I remember just saying to Pastor Bubba, Bubba, if you'll just keep doing what you've always done ever since I've known you, you've always stayed faithful, you've always stayed true, you've always stayed righteous, you've always stayed holy, and if you do that, you'll outlive every other preacher that comes through town. You see, the first fruit of all faith is faithfulness. And the thing I appreciate about your pastors so much is their faithfulness. The Word of God endures forever. And those who walk with God's Word in them endure as well. So I want to tell you, God must really, 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 really love you to give you pastors like Pastor Bubba and Tracy and the team that he's given y'all. My... Uh, my wife wore a fake one-carat cubic zirconian for 20 years. And on her uh, 20th anniversary, I, I, it was a guy in the church then who owned a pawn shop. Now, I don't want y'all to tell her I got it from there because she may not know that to this day. Okay. And I went in and I'd seen a few months earlier a two-carat heart-shaped diamond solitaire. So I'd started, you know, my people, we put down payments on stuff. We put on layaway. So I'd put that thing on layaway, and, <laughs> and I was going in there. And finally, the 20th anniversary came, and I had that rock mounted. And I, I brought that to her, and I gave it to her on our 20th anniversary. Now, the crazy thing is, she then was very glad, took away the fake cubic, which we got for about $100, and she threw th th that in her, in her jewelry box, and then she wore that, and she used to walk around and say this all the time, baby, do you realize I don't have a wedding band? Now, lady, she had a two-carat diamond solitaire, and she was worried about a $150 wedding band. And I said to her, baby, all you have to see, uh, someone sees that big old rock up on your hand, they know you're taken. When 
she shows that ring, she calls it her 20-year service award. She calls it the award for giving birth to five sons and one daughter. You see, you can tell how loved someone is by, by the gift that's been given to them. And do you know what that means? God must really, 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 really love this area because he gave Pastor Bubba and Tracy to y'all and to this community. And you can clap with a good heart or a half heart. It's okay. He'll still be here when you're gone, being faithful and being true to what God's called him to do. So I just want to honor your pastors who are, if I, I know a lot of people, we began 15 years ago. This weekend, there are 14 churches. Half of those churches are over 2,000, and somewhere near 40,000 people will gather this weekend at those churches that just began 15 years ago. And it is a miracle of the grace of God. It is, it's, it's, it's a miracle to God's glory. But I want to tell you that out of all the people that I know and all the privileges that I've had, if they told me I could pick up the phone and I had to call one person to get something done and my life depended on it, I'd pick up the phone and I'd call Pastor Bubba McCann because I would know it'd be done, it'd be done right, it'd be done well, and it'd be done in a way that blesses and honors God, and I know it would honor me. As a pastor, we always walk with people through many different things. These last two or three months have been just overwhelming. We had a uh, one of our precious men, volunteer children's workers, just a tremendous man. His daughter, 14 years old, loved God. Before the story I'm going to tell you, the Wednesday of the week before, she brought three of her friends from school that gave their life to Christ, to youth group, on a Wednesday night. He was driving his children to school, and he lived in Brobridge, so he was driving on I-10, about to get off at the university exit. And another car came on I-10, crossed over through the medium. And when he saw the car coming towards him, his 14-year-old daughter, who was in the back seat, and his 9-year-old son, he turned the car where it would hit him first. When, when the story was all over, I was called an hour later, immediately went to the hospital. 14-year-old Abigail, one of the sweethearts of our church, would be lost in surgery two hours later. Her dad, they said, would be paralyzed. First, they said he wouldn't live. Three times they called us in over the next three weeks to say goodbye to him. A week later, his wife gave birth to a child. A man paralyzed from the neck down, 14-year-old daughter lost in an accident and a wife giving birth, all in the same family. Now, I want to tell you, when you walk with people through moments like that, you know what you say? Two things. Number one, what do people do without Jesus? And number two, what do people do who don't have a pastor who they can trust to walk with them in the darkest moments of their life? See, it doesn't matter how close you are to Pastor Bubba right now. 
That's okay. You're going to need them before it's all over. My attitude has always been I pastor everybody that I come in contact with because if you don't need me now, I'm like a doctor. You'll need me later. Somebody's going to die. Your kids are going to become demon-possessed. Yeah, we have a few demon children in the audience. Uh, you're going to walk through. A doctor's going to call you. Some medical report, a finance thing is going to turn, and you're going to need the Lord. I had the privilege recently of leading a, a man to the Lord who was a Buddhist. And uh, his name is Willie. That's really not his name. His name is like, but you, 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 no one could pronounce that, so he goes, but Willie. And, uh, and, and, and Willie owns all the Papa John's in Acadiana and a couple of Chinese takeout restaurants. And so he was brought to one of my men's Bible studies. And, I mean, this all happened three months ago. And, and so a guy introduced me to him afterwards. And, you know, we made contact. Later the next day I met with him. And he said, Papa, I don't know nothing about Jesus. I know I be Catholic Church. I don't like that. I just, I don't know. I don't know. I'm a Buddhist. I said, okay, well, well why, don't, why don't you come over and let me visit with you? So he met me over at, a, at our office there in, in, in Orleans Place. Mike, you know, Will's office he gave me for 25 years that he probably deducts a million dollars a year off his tithe for. And uh, that was an inside joke, but it's, it's still true. And I, I meet him there, and he comes with his wife. And so he sits down, and, and I literally take a board about half this size, and I draw the whole plan of salvation out, Adam and Eve in the garden, what happened in the fall. I mean, I go through the entire gospel story from creation all the way to the cross. And then I say to him, I end up at Nicodemus and you must be born again. Would you like to be born again? Oh, yeah, but uh, I like that. Look at why you want to be born again. Yeah, we want to accept Jesus. We didn't know. So I pray for him and he just gets radically saved. Just, 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 like, just like a story read out of the Bible. Every day I go by his house. And every five-minute conversation turns into a two- or three-hour Bible study. And he, he doesn't know how to read a lot of things very well. So the Bible story was on TV at that time. So he's taping all the stories. And he's watching them all night long. And everything I'm then saying to him in the Bible study, go, Oh, now I understand that movie. I saw that. I want to happen. So Willie and Michelle, literally, they are with now with church people five nights a week. I mean, they, 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 five nights a week. She said, his, his wife said the other day, he called us to come over again. He does it three times a week. She said, you know, Michelle said to me, uh, we have new family. The Aranza, they are family. The Gidry, they are family. The Bolan, they are family. They are family now. I said, well, you're, you're right, Willie. It's called spiritual family. We're your spiritual family. Yeah, 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 spiritual family. So one night out of his house, uh, the, the girl, Michelle, had already gone home, and, and I needed a ride home, so he was, he was dropping me off at home. He said, oh, Pata, I'm not going to be there the weekend. I said, well, Willie, where are you going to be? He goes, uh, I'm going to Las Vegas. <laughs> Willie, I said, let me just tell you, I mean, you, you know, <laughs> Las Vegas is not a good place. I said, you, you know what Las Vegas is called. It's called Sin City. Oh, yeah, Pata, I know that. 
I said, well, um, Willie, uh, you, you're going to need some spiritual weapons to go there. He go, really? I go, yeah, I go, I got spiritual weapons? You see, whether you realize it or not, you and I are in a battle. Someone once said, if you want to see what God wants to use, just look and see what the enemy is attacking. In a battle that began in the garden, in the dream of God again that began in our nation over 200 years ago, there is a full onslaught taking place as I stand here today. And not only are we in the midst of that battle, we may be in the final stretch of that battle. I'm going to get to how it began here in just a moment in the garden, but let me tell you what has happened in our nation. In 1963, if you don't think one person can make a difference, a woman by the name of Madeline Murray O'Hara, one woman in Austin, Texas, got prayer removed from every school in America. One woman. By the way, she's dead now, and she's no longer an atheist. Just thought I'd share that with you. In 1973, just 10 years later, after the creator of life was acknowledged every day in our school, then the second step was the definition of life was recreated all over again. And through Roe versus Wade, almost without a peep, abortion was passed. And since that day, 60 million babies have been aborted. Almost 20% of our entire population. While the battle was still raging, the steel, the effects of, of creation being taught in our school system, acknowledging a creator, that began to be removed completely by evolution being fully shoved into the public schools where in psychology class you go and they tell you you're significant and important and in science class you go and they tell you you're an accident. And they can't figure out how kids are confused by telling them they're an accident in one class and then telling them they're significant and valuable in another one. So now that creationism was taken out of the way, you couldn't acknowledge the creator. Through prayer, you couldn't talk to the creator. And now the very definition of life, not just speaking to the author of life, not acknowledging the creator of life, but now redefining life itself. And then just a couple of months ago, the unthinkable took place. The very institution that God gave to procreate and to protect and to care for life was redefined. And now by a ruling of our Supreme Court, and now, state by state, a battle has been waged. And many states now acknowledged, even against the will of those who voted, that marriage is no longer between a man and a woman. You see, it's all a war on life. Acknowledging the creator of life. Acknowledging that he created life. Redefining what life is. And then destroying the very last fence, the last guard, the last hedge that protects the procreation and care of life. 
Do you know why it takes two people to make a child? Come on, do we have any Cajun philosophers in here? Do you know why it takes two people to make a child? Because it takes two people to raise a child. Do you know why blacks and Hispanics are the ones that have always been diametrically opposed to same-sex marriage? Because you don't have to tell us what it's like to be raised in a family with no mama or no daddy. They've been raised, the, the, the minority cultures have been absent of mother and fathers for years being together. That's why. And the ills that have plagued the blacks and Hispanics in America are just a forerunner of what's going to come to the rest of our nation if we continue to defy the author of life, the creator of life, the one who gives life, and the one who has given marriage through which we should protect life. One of my uh, Cajun philosophers at the Broussard campus said it well one day when I was standing out there, and he had a very beautiful daughter that, that started coming to church, and then she'd go in from one live-in relationship to another one. And, and last I heard, she was living with somebody. And so I said, hey, you know, how's, you, how's your daughter doing? He said, Pastor, he said, I don't understand it. I said, what is that? The whole same-sex marriage issue had come up. He goes, Dems that's not supposed to be married wants to be, and them that's supposed to be married don't want to be. I don't, now, that is Cajun genius right there. There is a battle. Where did it all begin? It began in the garden. In Genesis chapter 1, the Scripture says, So God created man in his own image, and in his own likeness he created him, male and female. And he created them, and God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it using all the vast resources in the service of God and man and have dominion or govern, reign or rule over, and then he goes, all creation. You see, when God created man, he gave him the keys to the earth. Now, is, is there anybody here that has a nice car? I mean, a car that you, someone would be tempted to steal. I mean, some of y'all just leave your keys in your car, and you know what the truth is? You're praying somebody steals it. You got it insured. You're going, Jesus, please, let somebody. I'm, is there somebody here that has a nice new car? I'm talking about a nice car. Anybody here get a nice car? Come on, confess in church. You know what I say? If you lie in church, you go straight to hell. All right, well, what, is there anybody here with a nice car? Come on, if you have a nice car, raise your hand. I want to see your hand. Okay, yes. Yeah, okay, M Mike, what are you driving? An a Ford F-150. Am I right? Well, so what else? That's, that's, a, that's a nice car. What you got back there, sir? A 2012 Camaro. Do, do you have the keys to that car with you? you, you, you could, could I see the keys to that car? Could, could I just see them? I just, I just want to witness that there's actually here in the house. You, you, have, you have those? Could you hand that to me? Help, help your mama. She lost right there. Okay, do, do you have them? You, 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 you oh, thank you. Could you just toss him to me? Could, could I just, okay. I mean, come on, ma'am, this is in church. All right, here we go. Now, you know, my people are famous for stealing cars. Y'all just saw a white woman give me one. This is, this, this is, you, you, thank you very much. It's always been my dream. Actually, here's the truth. 
Josh Belt. I led Josh's mama to the Lord when she was a teenager, about 15. And his grandfather always promised. He had an invention that when it went off, he was going to get me a Camaro, a blue one. What color is this Camaro? Red. I'll take a red one. And he, and he promised it. It's true. Okay? So this is the fulfillment of that promise. So I just want to thank you. Thank you very much. And we have witnesses that this is given to me. I actually did this at a church a couple of weeks ago in Dallas, and a lady, I, I did that, and a lady goes, um, a husband pointer, she says, she's got a brand new 2013 Lexus. And so I got those keys, and she said, well, well hold it. I said, and I said what I just said to you. And she goes, well, wait a minute, we're visitors. We've never been here before. And you know what I said? Well, thank you. I wouldn't steal a car from somebody as a member. You'd have to be a visitor here. From, I mean, I'd get in trouble that way. God gave Adam and Eve the keys to the earth. He gave them government or governance or reign and rulership over the earth. And the command for them to keep the keys of the earth was simple. Don't eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. How many of you have ever heard of that? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Do you know why it was called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Because God wanted man to know evil by definition, not by experience. You know what happens when you learn evil by experience? Then it's the consequences that teach you, not the commandment of God. Did you get that? God's design has always been for us to know evil by definition and not by experience. And because they disobeyed God, they forfeited the keys. And Satan became the ruler of this world. You say, Pastor, how do you know that's true? Jesus said it himself in John 14, 30. I don't have much more time to talk to you, he says, because the ruler of this, what? World approaches, and he has no power over me. He said again in John 12, 31, for the time for judging the world has come when Satan, the what? Ruler of this world will be cast out. Satan, through Adam and Eve's disobedience, took the keys, took the authority, took the reigning governance, and he became the ruler of this world. 2,000 years ago, God sent his son Jesus on a rescue mission. And that rescue mission was to come to earth and to take the keys that had been forfeited by Adam and Eve and their disobedience and to take that back and to put it back in the hand of man. You say, when did he do that? He did that in Matthew 28 when Jesus rose from the dead and said, all power and authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. He already had it in heaven, but in heaven and on earth. Now, go and preach the gospel. He gave them power and authority over demons and over diseases. He actually was restoring back to them the power that they'd lost and forfeited in the garden. He gave them back the keys. Does everybody see this? And now Jesus said this, the kingdom of heaven is among you. That's what he said when he walked on earth. Then he said this, the kingdom of heaven is within you. So inside of me, inside of you, is the garden, heaven. It's inside of you and me. And so we get the fruits that we were intended to walk in. They're called the fruits of the 
love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, meekness, self-control, all of those things. That's the way God created us to live from the very beginning. And so now you and I have been given the authority and the mandate to go and to bring the gospel and with the gospel, the kingdom. And whenever I share the gospel with somebody, you know what I'm actually doing? You know what happened? How many years ago was it now? 33. Wow, that's how old I am. I don't even remember. You know what happened with Pastor Bubba? 33 years ago, I came and met him, and with the gospel, I said, this belongs to God. It must be restored back to its rightful owner. Jesus came to buy it back. Now, become who God made you to be. You and I, with the gospel, have the power. As a matter of fact, Jesus told Peter, I give you the keys to the kingdom. What are the keys? What A key is something that unlocks the door. What unlocks the door for people to get into heaven? Redemption through Jesus Christ and salvation through being born again. Is this okay? Am I going too fast? Paul would later refer to it and say this, for as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, that's Adam, so through one man's obedience many will be made righteous. That's who? That's Jesus. He gave mankind back the authority and the governance he'd lost in the garden. As a matter of fact, Jesus himself speaks in the book of Revelation. Listen to what he says. Revelations 1.18. I am he that lives, and I was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the of. You see, when Adam and Eve sinned, three foreigners came. Three aliens came into the garden that God never intended to be there as a result of their sin, fear, guilt, and shame. Do you know why that feels so yucky on you? Because you were never created to live that way. You were never created to live with fear and guilt and shame. As a matter of fact, Satan's greatest desire is to get you to do something that for the rest of your life, he can make you feel guilted and shamed. Do you know why? Because there's only one entity that will never be forgiven, ever. And do you know who that is? Satan. And you know what he wants to do? He wants to make you feel the same way he does. He wants you to feel the same way he does. Eternally separated from God, even if it's not true. Are you still with me? Am I going too fast? The battle, this battle, will not be determined by how strong you are or how smart you are or how quick you are or how much money you have or who you know or don't know. As a matter of fact, 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5, the Amplified Version, my favorite in the study Bible, says this, For though we walk and live in the flesh, we are not carrying on our warfare according to the flesh. And using mere what? What is a human weapon? Who I know, how much money I have, what I can do, the influence that I have, my physical strength. Those are human weapons. He says we're not fighting with human weapons. But watch this. For the weapons of our warfare are not what? 
physical. They're not weapons of flesh and blood, but they are mighty. What? Now, when God looks at a strong man here on earth, the strongest person there is. We once brought a guy in years ago who was the strongest man in the world. He bench pressed, first teenager to bench press 700 pounds. And then he ended up benching, pressing 800 pounds. We brought him into the Cajun Dome. And he picked up the back of a car. He bench pressed the back of a car. And it was our first locker to locker. Do, do you know that that's strong? Do you think God looked at him and went, ooh, he's strong? Do you know what the Bible says? Is that the strength of men is like weakness to God and that the wisdom of men is like foolishness to God. So if God looks down at a weapon and says they are mighty before him, how many of you know that's mighty? He says, and they are mighty before God. Watch this. They're mighty before God for the overthrow and what? Of, okay, what is a stronghold? What is a stronghold? Come up here a second, Zach. Now, I want you to, to gently get me in a headlock. If, okay, Liz, this is what I'll do. I'm packing a gun, all right? Don't forget that. Okay, okay. Do, do you know what? When he has me, put your, put your arm up. When he has me like this, hold this arm. See, it, it determines where I go. Watch, he has me in a stronghold. It determines what I can do, how free I am. Do you know that every person here has strongholds in your family? Do you know the strongholds of your family? Oh, I can tell you the strongholds of the Aranza family. My great-grandfather ran off with Pancho Villa in Mexico and abandoned his family. My grandfather walked 800 miles from the interior of Mexico to Houston, Texas, and because he could speak a little English and Spanish, he got a job on the railroad. And he was immoral till the last five years of his life when he got saved. There were a number of children in my father's family, many of them divorced, many of them unfaithful. My father was one of them. He's been married five times because of his alcohol and unfaithfulness. There are six children in my family. Out of the six children in my family, five of them are divorced because of unfaithfulness and addictions. What was the stronghold? What was the thing that drug the Aranza clan around for 200 years? Alcohol and what else? Immorality. Stop here a moment. What are the strongholds from your past? And everybody's got them. How many of you can think of, think of the, the habits that your grandfather or your father or, or your mother, your grandmother, how many can think of those? And you know what those strongholds are? Raise your hand. Those of you that didn't raise your hand, your stronghold is that you're lying, number one, and stupid, number two. Because every one of us have those. Every one of us have those. It's not a question of if you have strongholds. Here's the question. Come back up here one moment. Here's the question. Here's the question. The question is whether you take that stronghold and you take the Word of God and make what was once your weakness your strength. That's the difference. 
God's weapons are mighty for the destruction of, you're going to be like your daddy. Your daddy was a drunk. Your daddy was a womanizer. You're going to be like your grandmother, your grandfather. You're going to be like, you're going to be just like them. You're just, in that stronghold, the word, this word, this power, these weapons are for the destruction of strongholds inasmuch as we refute arguments and theories and reasonings and every proud and lofty thing that sets itself up against the true knowledge of what? And we lead every thought. Do you know what the knowledge of God is? The Word of God. So if the Word of God says something about me and my stronghold tells something about me, unless I lift the Word of God above my stronghold, my stronghold will control my life, even as a believer. Even as a believer. I heard a story about two uh, guys that were getting in a fight. One was Japanese and the other one was a Mexican. They were in the back alley and the guy from Japan had been provoking the guy in the bar that was a Mexican and finally they said, let's take it outside. So as soon as they got outside, the man from Japan looked, he yanked off his shirt and he goes, I know karate. And the Mexican guy looked at him and said, I know Mexican judo. He said, what is Mexican judo? He said, you don't know if I brought a gun and you don't know if I brought a knife. (laughs) You see, you see, it's not the size of the person or the strength of the person. It's what weapons they bring into the battle. What, what are your weapons? Willie looks at me and goes, Papa, I got weapons? And I began to tell him what I'm going to tell you right now. How many of you want to know what those weapons are? Because I can tell you this, if you don't use them, The devil will keep you in strongholds all the days of your life. And he'll keep your children in strongholds and your grandchildren in strongholds. Here they are. Number one, the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus. Why does the devil hate the blood of Jesus? Why is this a weapon? I'm going to give you two minutes, and I want you to listen carefully. When Adam and Eve sinned, what's the first thing that they noticed? Is it they'd never looked down before? Is it when Adam looked at Eve, he closed his eyes, or she looked at him? How how did they know? Because the moment they sinned, all of their weakness, all of their nakedness, all of their eyes came on them. They knew that they were disobedient. And so when they were naked, what did they do when they realized they were naked? They covered themselves up with, with what? Has anyone here ever rubbed a fig leaf? You know what it feels like? It feels like fiberglass. Can you imagine putting fig leaves on the most sensitive parts of your bodies? Can't you see me going, slow down, Adam. This hurts when I walk. That broke out with rashes everywhere. They, they, I mean, did Can you imagine how painful that is? You know why? Because covering up is always painful. Guilt and fear and shame are always painful. And so God comes. Adam, 
Adam, where are you? Now, did God know where Adam was? Hey, listen, God only asks a question so that you will know the answer. He knows the answer before he asks a question. And Adam and Eve come out, and they're naked. And God says, why are you hiding? They said, we're naked. He said, who told you you were naked? Did you eat of the tree I told you not to eat of? Now I'm going to have to put you out of the garden because there's another tree in there called the tree of life. And whoever eats of that tree is going to live forever. That's the tree you could have lived at forever. But because you've disobeyed me, I have to put you out of the garden. And do you know what he did next? He killed animals and shed their blood and covered them with fur. Ladies, they went from fig leaves to fur. Are you feeling me yet? You see, every time we come to God, we think that we're going to come to him and it's going to be all of this big, horrible, painful, scratchy, I feel terrible. I don't. When God looks at us and he goes, you, you can't hide behind that. Come on, let me cover you. And he shed the blood of animals to give them skins. And from that point on, all throughout the Bible, every time that God meets man, man is sacrificing blood and animals for atonement for sin. All the way through to a couple of thousand years later when when God sends Moses to the children of Israel and says, go and tell Pharaoh that I said, let my people go. Who? You know those of you that know that? And nine times Pharaoh says he's going to let him go, and nine times he doesn't let them go. And finally God tells Moses, Moses, here's what I'm going to do. Tonight I'm going to send a death angel. And when that death angel passes over, every house that doesn't do what I'm telling you to do, the firstborn of every living creature in that house is going to die all the way to Pharaoh's house. It doesn't matter who it is. He said, Moses, here's what I want you to do. Go get a lamb without spot or without blemish a year or younger and kill the lamb. And you eat the meat. If there's more, share it with your neighbor and take the blood and put it on the doorpost of the entrance of your house. And tonight, that death angel is going to pass over. And when it does, every house that has blood on the doorpost will be saved. Every house that does not have blood on the entrance of the house, the firstborn of that house will die. Now, let me ask you a question. Did that happen? How many times had Moses already told the people that God was going to set them free? Okay, there were 10 plagues. How many times? How many times to that point had he, before that last one? Can you imagine guy coming home, honey, Pharaoh's going to let us go now. Yeah, uh-huh, like last time. Remember what happened? The first time he told you that, you had to start working double overtime, got paid less, had to work harder. Yeah, but, but, but here's what Moses said we have to do. What now? Put blood on the, the entrance to, Blood? Harold, do you know how long it's going to take me to wipe that blood off of there if we don't get turned loose this time? Have you ever put blood on wood? Do you know how hard that is? 
Mo- Moses said, baby, that's what we need to do. I don't care how many times has Moses said, yeah, Moses. Have things gotten better or worse since Moses got here? Do you think that that night when they put blood on the doorpost, there was any houses with disagreement and strife? Do you think there were a few folks that were unhappy? Do you think there were a few folks that said, if it don't happen this time, this is it. This is the last time. I was giving him the 10. This is it. Answer? But everyone obeyed, and everyone that obeyed lived. Now, let me fast forward about 4,000 years, 5,000 years. Jesus has come to earth. It's 7,000 years since creation. Thousands of years since Moses. And Jesus comes walking. He's beginning his ministry. And he comes walking out to his first cousin, John. And John looks at him and says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. From the garden all the way to the cross, the blood. Hebrews says without the shedding of blood, there was no forgiveness of sins. But Jesus shed his blood once and for all. And because of that, when God sees me, when there's strife in my home, when there's things going on in my life and in my heart, when God sees me, what does he see? He sees the blood. When God sees you and me, he sees if there's strife in my house, he sees if things are not going good with me and my husband, he sees if things aren't going good with me and my children, he sees when things are tough at the job, he sees when the economy is going crazy and elected officials have lost their mind, he sees when God sees me, he sees and when he sees the blood, he sees his son. He sees righteousness. Do you think Jesus is loved by his Father, blessed by his Father, pleasing to his Father? When God sees me, he sees what? He sees the blood. The blood of Jesus. The second weapon, the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. My authority. My authority. Many years ago, in 1996, seven, I was seven, eight, nine. I was the chaplain for the New Orleans Saints. Mike Ditka was our coach, and we didn't win many games. I had, most of my Bible studies were out of the Book of Job back then. He used to say, "Can we ever get to the New Testament?" I go, "Yeah, I'm waiting for a little victory myself." When I met him through a, a relationship, Bill McCartney of Promise Keepers, who was a friend, and, and long story short, through one of the coaches, I then became the coach of the, the chaplain for the coaches. And, and so as soon as I led Coach Ditka to the Lord, he said, hey, let, let, let's, let's start doing a Bible study. We'll do it for the coaches. All right? So the first Monday, I left Lafayette about 530 in the morning, pulled into the New Orleans facility there in Metairie about 730, and the Bible study was at 8. So I came walking in, greeted all the guys, the defensive coordinator, the offensive coordinator, the receiver coach, the line coach. I just went through and loved on everybody. And when I was leaving, 
I walked over to his office, and you opened up his office, and if this was his office, you opened up a door, and there was a conference room and a large table where he had held meetings right joined to his office. So I said, um, Coach, I'm here for Bible study. It's 8 o'clock. He said, well, well where, where, where are the other coaches? I don't know. I said, do they know there's a Bible study? I said, I went and told every one of them. He said, you go tell them that I said there ain't anything they have to do that's more important than them having the Bible before they do it today and starting off with God. I said, okay, walked out of Hey, Coach Didka said, y'all better get in there. He's going to rip your head off. <laughs> Coaches were flying out of rooms, dusting off Bibles they looked like they got at their wedding. You know, them big kitchen table Bibles, them big coffee table Bibles. They came running out there, and they sat down, and they were, they were. What was the difference? They both got invited. I had invited every one of them. I told them there was a Bible study. What was the difference? I had his name. I had his authority. And when you and I walk in obedience to God, we carry the keys to the kingdom. And we walk in obedience to the word of God. And we walk under this word right here in the spirit of God. Then we walk in the authority of Jesus. And the works of Jesus are done through our life. And the power of Jesus is magnified through my life. And authority is released to my life and through me to others. How powerful is the name of Jesus? If you call on it, it looses all the bondages of sin. Romans 10, 8, 9, and 10. But what say that the word is near you, even in your mouth and in your heart? That's the word of faith that we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made into salvation. When I call out on the name of Jesus, boom, darkness leaves me. Spiritual death leaves me. Spiritual life comes to me. And I am resurrected from the dead spiritually. Watch this. How strong is the name of Jesus? 1 John 1, 9 says, if I confess my sin in his name, he's faithful and just to forgive me. It releases fresh washing to me every time. Imagine driving down through one of these muddy roads. Mud's flying everywhere. People in front of you are splashing mud all over you. It's getting all over your windshield, and you go, and you spray something. Every time sin comes on me, I say, in the name of Jesus, forgive me. In the name of Jesus, cleanse me. And every single time, it releases the power of sin and death and guilt and shame and fear over my life. The name of Jesus is my authority. The blood of Jesus is my right standings because when God sees me, he sees the blood, the name of Jesus, my authority. Okay. Can I have three minutes to finish the last one? How many of you give me three minutes to finish the last one? Three, four, six, nine, twelve, fifteen. Praise God. I can go till tonight at six o'clock. Thank you. <laughs> Hebrews ten fourteen says this. Oh, well, let them let me go. Hebrews twelve ten says this. Then I heard a loud voice shouting from across the heavens. It's revelations, I'm sorry. And it came at last, salvation and power of the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ for the accuser of the brothers who accuses them night and day has been defeated. And they defeated him by the what? Blood of the lamb and then the what? 
word of their testimony. The blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. The name of Jesus is my authority. Number three, and finally, my weapon, the word of God. How many of you know that Jesus was tempted by the devil? It's in the Bible. It's not a story I made up. I mean, you know, Jesus was tempted by the devil. Go home and read Luke chapter 4. <laughs> Pastor Bubba, what have you been giving these folks to read? Good housekeeping? I mean, what's going on? Ephesians 6.13 says this in the message translation. Be prepared. You're up against far more than you can handle on your own. Take all the help you can get. Every weapon God has issued so that when it's all over but the shouting, you'll be on your feet. Truth, righteousness, peace, and faith, and salvation are more than just words. Learn how to apply them. You'll need them throughout your life. God's Word is an what? Indispensable weapon. God's Word is an indispensable weapon. This Word is your weapon. This Word is your weapon. And it doesn't matter how much of a weapon you have. If you don't know how to use it, it really doesn't matter, does it? If the enemy's coming in and he's breaking into your house and you have a gun with bullets but you don't know how to use it, guess what? You're going to die. You're going to get robbed. Everything is going to get taken away from you. And you can point in there and go, I got a gun in the closet. I got a gun in the closet. I got a Browning semi-automatic in the closet. I got three and a half inch shells with turkey load. Will that ever defeat him? Answer, you have to use the weapon that's been issued to you. Your weapon is the word of God. When Satan came to tempt Jesus, okay, first of all, who created Satan? Who was a part of creating him? Okay, and God is God the, God the, and God the, so, Jesus was God in the flesh. So, who helped create the angel that then became Satan? Jesus. Let me just 30 seconds. Everything comes from God through Jesus, and it's created by the Holy Spirit. God spoke and said, let there be light. Light came. The Word went forward. Who's the Word made flesh? Jesus. And it was created by the Holy Spirit. So, when you get saved, what happens? The Holy Spirit draws you to Jesus, and Jesus brings you to the Father. The same way you were created, you are recreated. So now, Satan comes to Jesus. And he starts off with the same words in every temptation. Here it is. If you are, do you know what that's like? I mean, can you imagine Zach walking up to Pastor Bubba going, if you're my daddy? Pastor Bubba going, if I'm your daddy, God help me to bring you into this world and God help me to take you out of this world. Wouldn't that be ridiculous? So Satan comes to Jesus who helped create him. And he says, okay, isn't that ridiculous? Isn't that ridiculous? But look right here. If Satan did that to Jesus, he'll do it to you. If you're a real Christian, if you really believed, 
if you were really born again, if you really had a heart for God, if you, that's what he would do to you. And what did Jesus say to him? Fool, let me show you the video of when I created you. Boom. Big screen appears. Father spoke, and it shows him. Could he have done that? How about this one? He could have went, if I'm the, uh, uh, Jesus could have sneezed and knocked him to the top cliff of Mount Everest with him holding on. Ah, I was joking. I know you are. Could he have done that? Could he have turned him into an ant? He already tried snakes that didn't work well. He could have turned him into anything. Couldn't he? But what did Jesus do to defeat the devil who came at him three times? He used these words, it is, or the scripture has said. You see, my words don't carry authority unless they match God's words. My words don't have power unless they match God's words words. Whenever I'm trying to use these words and I'm not operating the spirit and the power of this, it's like me being an off-duty policeman trying to pull over everybody I'm mad at in my neighborhood. I don't have the power and the authority, even if it looks like I have the badge. But when I walk in the spirit of God, with the word of God, covered in the blood of Jesus, God's son, I Bring the kingdom of God wherever I go. And what the garden looked like thousands of years ago, it looks like in that moment. It looks like in that moment. You, you ever see somebody get saved and, and they're weeping and they're broken and you're watching them and you're going, why do you get the free songs? How many of y'all know what the free songs are? How many of you don't know what the free songs are? I'm sad day. Free songs is a Cajun word. It actually means goose skin or chicken skin. It means like goosebumps. When you get the free songs, when you feel that way, you saw just for a moment God saying, this is the way I intended it to be from the beginning. This is what the kingdom looks like. This is what the kingdom looks like. Do you know how many people died so you could have access to this book. Do you know until 250 years ago, very few people had this. Until the 1500s, nobody had it that it wasn't handwritten. After that, very few for 200 years, very few people did. And the, the Bibles that were, were chained to pulpits and priests and pastors had them. And very few people had access to them. How many of you got one Bible in your house? Raise your hand. Two, three, four, five. William Tyndale died getting this printed so you could have it. Saints of old hand copied this so you could have it. Anybody have the Bible on your phone? The Bible app, you version? Can you get it in here? I don't have any service in here. There's no service, any service in here? Bring yours up here. Is this the U version? Okay. What? No, it's, it's not. It doesn't have. 
If, if you have the U version for the Bible, it's free. You got it? Here. Is it live? You got it? You're connected, but you have no service. So you got to have service. But let's see. Well, let's see. Let's see. Let's see right here. Let me see. This may work. Currently, you are switching versions. Thank you very much. It's the metal roof. Anybody got Wi-Fi? Okay, give, bring, bring me your phone. Because I want to show you something. Take that. What service do you have? It's connected to the Wi-Fi. That's a smart girl right there. Okay, now I want you to watch this because this is going to blow you away if it ever comes on. Okay, go. Uh, let's see. Here we go. Josh Belt is on Facebook, and he just added a photo. <laughs> okay, you got it? Okay, you got it? All right. Let's see here. All right. Oh, good. You have the translation I want, too. Now watch this. Well, no, you don't. No, you don't. It's not coming on. Okay. Do you know what it does? Anybody know? It reads the Bible to you. Now look at me. What excuse are you going to give God? You got 10 Bibles you don't read. Men died to give their life to you. You can even turn the Bible on to where it's reading to you. I go to bed read, listening to the Bible. How in the world are we going to stand before the world and before the judgment seat of Jesus and say, Lord, we had ten Bibles. We had the Bible could actually be read to us out loud. But, 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 but Lord, we, we didn't have it. We, 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 you know, we were too busy. The voice was on. I had to find out about the Zimmerman verdict. I'm quite certain that all those verdicts are distracting us from a verdict that we might all get when we stand before God. Today, I want you to use your weapons. Number one, the blood of Jesus, because when God sees you and me, he sees, he sees the blood. Number two, the name of Jesus, his authority. And number three, what? The word of God. Right now, I have right here. Unlock that for me. See if I can get some something to cooperate here. Okay. Okay. How do you do it? See, even that doesn't work. See these cards right here? These are daily Bible confession cards I've had since I was 19 years old. They tell me I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. His word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. But Jesus said, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by the words that come from the mouth of God. Jesus said, my words are spirit in their life. 
Job said, I treasure your word more than my necessary food. It's God's word. It's God's word. These are your weapons. Today, I want to challenge you as a church. The battle's getting greater. Time is getting darker. But we are not those who've been left to the battle without the weapons that ensure our victory. It's 15 to 12, you're saying. You're going to still beat the Baptist to the cafeteria. I'm a man. I have a lot of things to protect my house. I got a fence. Any of you got a fence around your house? Okay. Got a dog. Anybody got a dog? I got a, I got a Mexican alarm. That's a little demon-possessed Mexican dog called a chihuahua. When you go into my house, I have locks on the doors. And then I have an alarm besides that. And then if you got past the fence and the Mexican alarm and the lock and the real alarm, then I have guns. My boys call robbers target practice. Do you know why I do all of that? To protect my family. Now, if I have a fence, a dog, a lock, an alarm, and guns, and that's all earthly weapons, how much more do I need to be equipped with my heavenly weapons that God looks down and says, those are mighty. They're mighty. I want you to stand with me right now. A few years ago, there was a lady that died in Chicago. She was homeless. She walked around. She carried a, a brown paper bag with her. She lived in the homeless community, and the people that, that knew her would always try to get that bag away, and she wouldn't let them touch it. It's a true story. She died clutching that bag in her hand. And the first thing that all the people that knew her wanted to know was when they pried her hand away from the back and they looked inside of it, she had $500,000 of CDs from a bank. You know what I think of? I think of all the believers that I know that say they love Jesus, that hold the wealth and the riches. And you know what? They just hold on to it. So they live like paupers, and they live like they're not rich, and they live like they're not blessed, and they live like they're not righteous before God, and they live like they don't have authority over the enemy, and they live like they live as victims when all along everything God's given you is right here. Father, today I thank you for the name of Jesus. I thank you for the power of the Word of God. That when you bring it, Lord, you come to each one of us and you speak to us. And the Word of God, like a two-edged sword, cuts off things that needs to be cut off. And it adds things that need to be added. It's that two-edged sword, one side cuts and the other side heals. 
like a surgeon. Father, I thank you for this precious body. I thank you that when you see them, you see the blood. For every child of God, the weakest person, just like when that death angel passed over, it didn't matter if it was a young person in there, a baby in there, or an adult in there. When you saw them, you saw the blood. When you see us, regardless of our frailties, as born-again believers, you see the blood. I pray that today you would truly allow us to embrace the blood of Jesus, our right standings, the name of Jesus, our authority, and the word of God, our weapon. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you real quickly the most important question of all eternity. It's not do you believe in God. It's not have you been baptized or were you christened. The most important question you'll ever answer your entire life is this question, have you been born again? You say, Pastor, why is that so important? Jesus said, unless a man or woman is born again, they won't see the kingdom of heaven. Unless a man or woman is born again, they won't enter into the kingdom of heaven. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to ask you the most important question of your life. Have you been born again? That determines whether you spend eternity with Christ. If you experience resurrection life now and the kingdom of heaven now in your life, or whether you experience the worst life has to offer now and then an eternity separated from Christ. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, have you been born again? You say, well, Pastor, what if I haven't been born again? What do I need to do to be born again, to know my sins are forgiven, to know Christ is living in me through the power of the Holy Spirit, to know that God's plan is being fulfilled through my life, and if I die, the next face I'd see would be the face of Jesus. It's simple. Be born again. You say, Pastor, how do I do that? A, admit that you're a sinner and that sin separates you from God. B, believe that Jesus on the cross became your sin bearer. He took your guilt, sin, and shame on himself. C, confess Christ as your Lord and Savior as you repent and turn away from sin to receive forgiveness. You say, Pastor, how can I do that? You can do that right now. You can pray that prayer right now right at your seat. And today, you can admit that you're a sinner. You can believe that Jesus became your sin bearer. And you can confess Christ as your Lord and Savior and be born again. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm the only one that's looking. If you're here and you say, Pastor, I believe in God and I believe in Jesus, but I've never been born again. Would you pray for me today? I need to be born again today. If that's you, would you raise your hand? I'm going to pray for you right at your seat. Yes, ma'am. One, two, three, four, five. Anywhere else? Six, yes, I see your hands. Okay, you can put your hands down. Now, church, out loud, I want us to join those that raised their hand. Those of you that raised your hand, we're going to pray out loud with you. I want us to pray this prayer out loud together. Follow me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my guilt, my sin, and my shame, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me so I would not have to go. And you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn away from sin to be born again. And today, I confess you as my Lord and as my Savior. In Jesus' name.
Amen.